If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hello, listeners. I have here again today Annie, a friend and fellow T1D mom who comes onto the show occasionally to read questions from one of you. Thank you for writing in. Um, and then we talk together about the question so that we can get some thoughts and answers and flesh it out so that you guys um, can hear what we think. So Annie, why don't you read this question that we have today? Okay, here we go. I really need some help. My eight-year-old daughter was diagnosed a little over a year ago. When she was first diagnosed, I moved her into my room to sleep at night so she could be near me if something were to happen. Her bedroom is on the other side of the house, so I couldn't hear her if anything happened to her. My husband has been sleeping on the couch all this time, <clears throat> and he's pretty understanding about it, though I feel pretty bad. The real problem is that my daughter is telling me that she wants to go back to her own room, and I can tell that she's getting pretty annoyed with me. She does have a Dexcom now, so I can read her numbers, but I literally can't go to sleep if she's not in my room. What do I do? Sleepless in Rochester. All right. I love the name. I was ready for Sleepless in Seattle, which shows my age. Yeah. Um, so this is a tricky one, man. I don't, mm. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of families who, when their kid is diagnosed, pulls the kid into bed with them. That's not yeah. atypical. It's no. totally typical behavior. When my son was diagnosed, absolutely. I slept with him for probably a few weeks. And actually, whenever my husband traveled, which was quite a bit, when my daughter was little, I would just pull her into bed with me because it was just mm -hmm. easier. Mm -hmm. But this feels problematic, right? It's been a while. And I wanted to start with this irritation of this eight-year-old, because I mm -hmm. feel like that's a really important signal from my perspective that um, this needs to change, right? Mm -hmm. The message the mom is sending the kid is diabetes is so dangerous that we have to kind of uproot what's normal in your life. And that's not the message we want to communicate. Even when we're scared, the message we want to communicate is this is manageable. You're going to have a normal life with this. You're going to be able to do all the things, right? Like it might be hard if you want to go live in Africa where there's no refrigeration, right? But we're not talking to our eight-year-olds about that one. We're talking to them about being able to sleep in their own room, being able to have a play date, being able to go to school like a normal kid, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think this child's irritation about that is a pretty good indication that this mom is overstepping what's normal. And she needs to hold that in mind um, that she wants to change the messaging uh, to her child, even if it's not spoken message, right? These are mm -hmm. the communicated messages. And so she needs to think like, what's the message she wants to communicate about the possibilities for her child? And she needs to embody that a little bit more as she makes her choices. I, I know we have to tackle the mess of how she does that, but let me just pause right. there and see what you think about that. 
Um, I totally agree. I think that um, it's hard to, right, your kid's going to protest some of the limits and requirements that they, you know, things they have to do. Mm-hmm. And so some of those protests need to be responded to as just this is a protest, but there isn't a choice. And some of them can be keys for us about where our kids are and what's happening relationally. Um, And so I think sometimes it's hard to tell, but I think it makes total sense that as an eight-year-old who's kind of being forced, (laughs) quote unquote, to sleep in the parent's room and they're not wanting that. But that's something that needs to be listened to, maybe. Yeah, I like what you're saying. That diabetes does require our children to do things they don't want to do, right? And they might make protest about that. Um, there certainly are kids who don't want to go to camp. See a previous episode that I have. There are kids that don't want to put on their pump, right? Some of these things are not choices. But when they're protesting something that is a choice, that is being done in the service of us as parents, rather than for them as management, um, that needs to be reconsidered, right? So I like that you're drawing that line. I think. That yeah, and I point. think that's a really good distinction that you just made in terms of like how do you tell which one of those things mm-hmm. that I guess mm-hmm. is how much is this for our anxiety management um, versus for the diabetes management. Mm-hmm. Well, and and that's an important distinction too, right? Because sometimes for the diabetes management, we say actually you do need to wear a pump, right? Right. And so that's for the management and the sanity of the family. For right. our anxiety, though, we have to do more work to manage that on our own and not put that on the kids. Right. Yeah. Right. And and that's a really like there's the sanity of the family and of the of you, the parent, and there's anxiety management. So, you know, it's like it's not that you can't ask your kids to do something because you would be too anxious and wouldn't be able to sleep or focus on your work or something sometimes, right? Yeah, so it's important, this distinction between what's for management, I'm putting that in quotes, and what's for our anxiety. And mm-hmm. our anxiety sometimes can run the show a little bit, right? Um, but But we have to keep it in check. Like we can't put our anxiety on the backs of our children. We have to do that work. We're the parents, unfortunately, we have to be the grownups. And so sometimes we have to do that work. And like, yes, do many people pull their kids into their bed when this first happens? Uh Uh-huh. And -hmm. it's kind of magical thinking, honestly, like, what do we think will happen that we'll know that their blood sugar is out of range while we're sleeping, right? It's totally magical. Um, But it helps us with our anxiety as we transition to this new disease to having this situation that's fine. If it continues though for too long, then it's a problem that we have to, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that we have to manage. And it's a little confusing. Like, where's that line? What's quote too long, but I would say over a year is probably too long. Well, and then, you know, what's happening with the marriage also when they're on the couch for a year. Okay. So great. Thank you for bringing that point up because that's the next topic I was thinking about with this question is the husband sleeping on the sofa and He's fine with it, um, according to the mom who wrote in, uh, but she feels kind of bad. So I want to kind of point to some interesting research that I just read. This isn't exactly on point, but it's close, which says that if the lead type one parent is happy in the marriage, then uh, numbers actually, A1C outcomes are generally better. 
right? So there's a way that as T1D parents, we've got our eye on the wrong ball. <laughs> like we're focusing on keeping numbers in range, keeping them tight all the time. But I kind of know in my therapist and mommy bones that keeping happy, good relationship with our child, for example, and keeping harmonious relationships in the household ultimately is going to keep the ship as righted as it can be around type one. And it's certainly true based on this research in terms of marriages. So I'm not seeing that this marriage is being adequately prioritized. That's my thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not hearing that this is really great for the marriage. My first thought um, when you said happy in the marriage is that she's probably happy that he's not protesting. <laughs> ah, good point. Good <laughs> but point. that's not the same as feeling close and connected. Right. That's a very good point. Right. So, so yeah, I love that point, Annie, that she's, she's feeling like, oh good, there's no conflict with him. So the marriage is okay. But really she's kind of parking the marriage. She's not focusing on it in some way that allows it to flourish and grow. She's sort of parking it to the side um, and she's reprioritized uh, putting her child, her T1D child, we don't know if there are other children in this house, in the very center of the family. And mm -hmm. that's not a recipe for a healthy, flourishing primary relationship with your spouse. Yeah. Right? So she might feel like, oh, good, there's no conflict. Phew, I dodged that bullet. But it's definitely mm -hmm. not like closeness and flourishing mm -hmm. happening in that relationship, right? Because there's I no think, time for them. Right. And I think that's so common in such a hard, uh, even in less, you know, dramatic circumstances with, with type one, right? It's like, even if even if it's not about sleeping on the couch for a year, um, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's a really hard thing to not have everything focused on the, on the diabetes. Yes. I think that that's a challenge and an important thing and an easy thing to lose, to lose track of. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with that a hundred percent. And it's important for us to know, like this piece of research I thought was so great because we yeah. can see that actually our kids will do better if we focus on the relationships, you know, yeah, our relationship with our spouse. You're not telling people to trade one in for the other. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. One of the hardest things about diabetes is the food. Your kid has to eat, but there's so many foods that send them high or are tricky to dose for. And at the same time, you don't want to restrict their food choices. You want them to be able to feel like every other kid. To help you navigate the many challenges of food and eating with type 1, I've created the Sweet Talk Snack Course, a free mini course that gives you six bite-sized lessons to support your T1D kid in having a healthy relationship with food and eating. Sign up for it at DiabetesSweetTalk.com. The last thing I wanted to tackle here is this question about um, her sleep, right? This feels messy to me. You know, mm -hmm. she's, so there are a few things I want to look at here. One is that she's writing, you know, I, I know I literally can't go to sleep if she's not in my room. So the first thing I want to address there is how does she know that? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and has she tried and how mm -hmm. long has she tried? Mm -hmm. And 
And okay, the child didn't have a Dexcom before. And now she does have a Dexcom. When did she last try? Mm -hmm. So sleep is very powerfully influenced by what we believe about our sleep. Mm -hmm. um, so if we believe that we're not getting going to be able to fall asleep and we're not getting enough sleep because we're lying awake, then it will influence our ability to fall back asleep. Right. right. So her saying, you know, I literally can't fall asleep is just not the best belief for her. It's not an adaptive belief for her to go into her night of sleep with. Right. Right. So now we, I do want to think with you about like what strategies could she employ, you know, which is messy. You know, she just uh -huh. has to try some things. I do have some thoughts, but I definitely think that um, she needs to readjust this belief that she will be able to sleep without her daughter in the room that her, you know, she has to find a way to believe that her daughter is safe without her being right next to her. Mm -hmm. um, and the, I'm not a specialist in sleep, but I do know that the sleep therapist specialist people would say that you need a full hour before going to bed of relaxation time. Now that doesn't mean you're doing meditation. It means you're doing things that aren't arousing to the nervous system. So no screens, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of just easy activity, like it could be folding laundry, it could be reading a magazine, it's definitely not listening to a true crime podcast, right? It's mm -hmm. things that are lowering the nervous system reactivity, which I think that this mom in particular needs for a while, like she's going to have to dedicate herself to her own sleep hygiene mm -hmm. um, in order to overcome this messaging that she has and this mm -hmm. pretty bad habit honestly, mm -hmm. of like, I have to have my daughter right next to me. So yeah. I want to pause there before we can play with the messy ideas. What do you think? Well, it just, it reminds me of a long time ago when you told me to um, not have my clock by my bed because I was like waking up in the middle of the night and being like, oh my God, if I don't go to sleep now, I'm only going to sleep seven hours. If I don't go to sleep now, I'm only going to sleep six hours. Mm -hmm. You said, put the clock away. And I was like, no way. I can't, like, I've always... When I travel, I have a clock on and, you know, I always feel like I need to have the clock in order to sleep. And you said, no, all the sleep research says not to do that. And I had this belief that I needed that to sleep mm -hmm. and I would not sleep if I didn't have that. And mm -hmm. um, of course you were right. Like you always are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my husband that. <laughs> but, um, it, but it just uh -huh. feels like a good example of like you have a belief and then you're stressing out about not sleeping and, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's good to remember that those mm -hmm. things are not, we're not always right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That we do have to challenge those beliefs. And I think it's harder when you're sleeping next to your Dexcom, right? The research also shows that sleeping with a phone in your room, not even next to you or under your pillow folks, but in mm -hmm. your room, mm -hmm. um, impairs the quality of sleep, right? Mm -hmm. So Yes, T1D parents are not going to not sleep with their phone or a receiver in their room, right? That's not going to happen, but um, but we have to be mindful of it, right? So that we're a little less reactive. I had some thoughts about how she could practice mm -hmm. falling asleep. I mean, in addition to spending an hour, which is a lot of time for a mother, I was thinking that she could encourage, uh, she could change it up and have her husband sleep in the room with her daughter. And she goes to another space, probably her daughter's bedroom, and then mm -hmm. loses share for a few nights and just practices sleeping on her own. Yeah. Let her husband take it for a few nights and she can have that practice and then play. I don't know what she's playing with. Maybe she sleeps in her room. 
her husband sleeps on the couch and her daughter sleeps in her daughter's bedroom, just because it also might be hard for her to reintroduce sleeping with her husband. Like I want this mom to get some sleep for a week to two weeks before <laughs> she um, is in a situation where she's re-challenging herself in any way. Like I want her mm -hmm. to just break the habit of sleeping next to her daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think one of the most efficient, quickest ways to do that is to transfer some of the responsibility to her husband. I agree. All of those things will start to challenge that belief. Mm -hmm, for sure. And, and I think what you're saying about sleep hygiene and habits, right? Like we have to, um, I, I definitely have my share of um, insomnia nights and um, I've listened to these podcasts, you know, that are sleep, yes. sleep gnosis, relaxation mm -hmm. podcasts, mm -hmm. like they're there's a lot of um, tricks and they sometimes work for one night and not the next night. <laughs> but mm -hmm. um, I, I think that there's, you know, things to be practicing, experimenting with. Yes. I love that. Yes. Thank you for pointing to those. There are lots of tools, right? Headspace is one app. Um, there's one called Calm. I haven't explored all of them, but they all, I believe, have sleep meditations Mm -hmm. um, I think calm even has uh, like boring stories that someone tells mm -hmm. about moving mm -hmm. through a wooded landscape kind of thing. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. And I think do try everything, like assume that you will fall asleep and mm -hmm. that you are just looking for a new magic sauce to help mm -hmm. you like mm -hmm. get it, getting your body relaxed and ready for sleep is the goal here mm -hmm. and shifting mm -hmm. the belief structure. You'll mm -hmm. sleep eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one of the things that the, one of those, um, podcast one of those sleep uh sleep meditation things um says a lot is you you can't make yourself go to sleep but you can prepare your body for sleep and then just rest and you're getting some value out of the rest and um you know it will happen eventually yeah yeah that's a very important antidote to insomnia is like trusting that your body will get what it needs eventually and not getting too stressed out if you have a bad night or two Right, mm -hmm. knowing that your body will catch up. And this this mom needs to retrain herself how to sleep. Thank you, Annie, for being here and talking to me about this. Welcome. It's always fun. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.